Gridbox Media Programming is brought to you by... Introducing the redesigned CatholicSingles.com, featuring new ways that put the spotlight on the person and their faith, not just a profile picture. For the past 20 years, faithful Catholics have used CatholicSingles.com, and the reimagined CatholicSingles.com website is ready to help single Catholics take the next step in sharing meaningful relationships with other faithful Catholics. Remember, CatholicSingles.com, for faith, fellowship, and love. Hello, this is international Catholic singer Anna Nuzzo, inviting you to join me and Father Dan Cambra of the Marian Fathers on a select international tour's Divine Mercy pilgrimage to Poland and the Czech Republic. It takes place in September of 2019, and we would love for you to join us. For more information, go to my website, AnnaNuzzo.com. Thank you, and God bless. On Breadbox Media, this is Setting the Record Straight. I'm Chuck Coughlin. We're going to take another listen to some excerpts from the Jesuit Relations, a favorite subject of mine. In case you haven't guessed, the black robes I'm referring to in the title are the black cassocks of the Jesuits. The American Aboriginal people that we call Indians refer to the Jesuits as black robes. These reports intended to inform the superiors of the progress or lack of it of the Jesuit missionaries in the New World were published in book form throughout Europe and became bestsellers, especially in France. These are annual reports, and they were great tales of bravery, daring do adventures, marvelous tales about the wildlife, the landscape, but most especially about the, the unusual habits and religions and languages of the American Aborigine. In a way, these Jesuits were the first anthropologists in the detail and scientific precision with which they reported in their Jesuit relations. And they became bestsellers back in the 1600s. Every year, these tales of adventure and daring and bravery and a really incredible evangelization, motivated by an unbelievably passionate, ardent belief in the Grand Commission of Christ, that we should go forth to all nations preaching the Gospels and baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And this is what they set out to do. And they set out to do it. And they set out to do it in the most effective way. Learning the languages and intimate customs of the tribes that they were evangelizing and documenting it. So those that followed them could be more successful in bringing Christ to these souls and saving these souls. And the phrase we used to use when I was young, they were saving souls. Well, let's dive right into it. Here's the tail end of a report from Paul Lejeune, the great Jesuit priest and missionary, which will reflect some of the care and gentleness and patience that the Jesuits exhibited in great measure. Here it is. Your reverence will now see that the fear some people had that the foreigner would again come to ravage the country is not well founded, since households have been established here, since forts and dwellings are being built in several places, and as Monseigneur the Cardinal Richelieu favors this enterprise honorable in the eyes of God and of man. 
That mind capable of animating four bodies, according to what I've heard, sees far indeed, I confess. But I am of the opinion he does not expect from our savages, from this vine which he waters with his care, the fruits which it will bear for him on earth, and which he will enjoy one day in heaven. God grant that he may see five or six hundred Hurons, large, strong, well-made men, ready to listen to the news of the gospel, which is being carried to them this year. I imagine that he would honor occasionally New France by a look, and that this glance would give him as much satisfaction as those great deeds with which he is filling Europe. But to cause the blood of Jesus Christ to be applied to the souls for whom it was shed is a glory little known among men, but longed for by the great powers of heaven and earth. It is time to sound the retreat. The vessels are ready to depart. And still I have not read over and repunctuated this long relation. Your reverence will understand that I have not all the leisure that I could desire. One word more. Give us, my reverend father, if you please, persons capable of learning these languages. We intended to apply ourselves to this work this year, Father Lalamon, Father Buteau, and I. But this new settlement separates us. Who knows where Father Daniel is still living, whether Father Davost will reach the Hurons. For as his savages have begun to rob him, they may truly play a still worse game upon him. All this convinces us that we must retain here as many of our fathers as we can. Because if, for example, Father Brebeuf and I should happen to die, all the little we know of the Huron and the Montagnes languages would be lost. And thus they would always be beginning over again and retarding the fruits that they wish to gather from this mission. My Reverend Father, your very humble and very obedient servant of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul Lejeune, 7th of August, 1634. Father Paul Lejeune had an especially elegant style. This next report was sent by Father Francois-Joseph Le Messier. It was sent to Quebec to the Reverend Father Paul Lejeune, superior of the missions of the Society of Jesus in New France. It's entitled, The Excessive Cruelty of Men and the Great Mercy of God Upon the Person of a Prisoner of War from the Iroquois Nation. On the 2nd of September, we learned that an Iroquois prisoner had been brought to the village of Onentesati and that they were preparing to put him to death. The savage was one of the eighth captured by them at the Lake of the Iroquois. The rest had saved themselves by flight. At first we were horrified at the thought of being present at the spectacle. But having well considered all, we judged it wise to be there, not despairing of being able to win this soul for God. So we entered and placed ourselves near him. The Father Superior took occasion to tell him to be of good cheer, that in truth he would be miserable during the little of life that remained to him, but that if he would listen to him and would believe what he had to tell him, he would assure him of an eternal happiness in heaven after his death. Seeing that the hour of the feast was drawing near, we withdrew into the cabin where we had taken lodgings, 
not expecting to find an opportunity to speak further with him until the next day. But we were greatly astonished and much rejoiced when we were told that he was coming to lodge with us, and still more so afterwards, when the Father Superior had all the leisure necessary to instruct him in our mysteries, to prepare him for holy baptism. A goodly band of savages who were present not only did not interrupt him, but even listened to him with close attention. What a great advantage it is to have mastered their language, to be loved by these people, and to have influence for them. I do not think that the Christian truths have ever been preached in this country on an occasion so favorable. For there were present some from nearly all of the nations who speak the Huron tongue. The Father Superior found him so well disposed that he did not consider it advisable to postpone any longer his baptism. This being accomplished, we withdrew from his presence to take a little rest. For my part, it was almost impossible for me to close my eyes. The next morning, the prisoner again confirmed his wish to die a Christian, and even promised the father that he would remember to say in his torments, Jesus, take the day. Jesus, have pity on me. About noon, he has made his astastacion, that is, his farewell feast, according to the custom of those who are about to die. And then there's this other note. It is entitled, The Help We Have Given to the Sick of Our Village. This is the order we maintained. We visited them twice a day, morning and evening, and carried them soup and meat. We ate during our own sickness a few of the raisins and prunes and some little remedies that your references sent us, using them only in cases of necessity, so that we still had a good part of them, which we had made last up to the present. Everything was given by count, two or three prunes, five or six raisins to one patient. This was restoring life to him. Our medicines produce effects which dazzled the whole country, and yet I leave you to imagine what sort of medicines they were. A little bag of senna served over 50 persons. They asked us for it on every side. So we have listened to what our Jesuit wrote. This next, from the village of La Conception de Notre Dame, 27 April 1639. It's a letter from Father Francois Duperon of the Society of Jesus to Father Joseph Imbert Duperon, his brother, religious of the same society. It's interesting about the discussion of the satanic influences in the middle of this letter. Listen to this black robe. My Reverend Father, Pax Christi, I left three rivers on the 4th of September and reached the Huron country on the day of Saint-Michel, September 29th. Along the way, we passed three wandering Algonquin tribes for the rest, forests and bare rocks, rapids and precipices. I am surprised that the savages dare undertake such a journey. As for the Huron country, it is tolerably level, with many prairies, many lakes, many villages. Of the two where we are, one contains 80 cabins, the other 40. And in each cabin, there are five fireplaces and two families at each. Their cabins are made of large sheets of bark in the shape of an arbor, long, wide, and high in proportion. Some of them are 70 feet long. Their land produces nothing but Indian corn, beans, and squashes. These are the delicacies of the country, which has nothing in common with our France. 
as to things to be enjoyed except the four elements. One sees here nevertheless birds, fish, and forest animals, almost the same kinds as in France. The land, as they do not cultivate it, produces for only 10 or 12 years at the most. And when the 10 years have expired, they're obliged to move their village to another place. The nature of the savage is patient, liberal, hospitable, but importunate, visionary, childish, thieving, lying, deceitful, licentious, proud, lazy. They have among them many fools or rather lunatics and insane people. They nearly all show more intelligence in their business, speeches, courtesies, intercourse, tricks, and subtleties than do the shrewdest citizens and merchants in France. They regulate the seasons of the years by the wild beasts, the fish, the birds, and the vegetation. They count the years, days, and months by the moon. There are ten of ours here in two residences, one at La Conception de Notre Dame, the other at Saint-Joseph. These are distant from each other five or six leagues. We expect soon to establish a third residence in the Tobacco Nation. We have with us twelve Frenchmen who are hired by us. We are lodged and fed in the manner of savages. We have no land of our own except a little borrowed field where the French grain is raised just to make the host for the Holy Mass. We live the rest to divine providence, which sends us more corn than if we had broad lands. One person will bring us three years of corn, another six, someone else a squash. One will give us some fish, another some bread baked under the ashes. As their presence, we give them little glass beads, rings, awls, small pocket knives, and colored beads. This is all our money. As for the delicacies of France, we have none of them here. The usual sauce with the food is pure water, juice of corn or of squashes. The fresh food that comes from France does not go up farther than three rivers. All they can send is some church ornaments, some wine for the mass. Only four or five drops of us is put in the chalice. And some clothes, some prunes and raisins for the sick of the village. It all runs great risks on its way here. We lost this year two of our packages. Our plates are worth more than yours, although they're made of wood. They're valued at something equivalent to a hundred francs. The importunity of the savages who are continually about us in our cabin does not prevent our observance of our hours, as well regulated as one of our colleges in France. At four o'clock the rising bell rings, then follows the orison, at the end of which the masses begin and continue until eight o'clock. At eight o'clock the door is left open to the savages until four in the evening. It is permitted to talk with the savages at this time, as much to instruct them as to learn their language. In this time also the fathers visit the cabins of the town. Then follows dinner. We dine around the fire, seated on a log with our plates on the ground. On the 13th of November, the Reverend Father Superior, Le Mercier, left us here with one of our fathers to begin the itinerant missions. The devil seemed to try to oppose their plan. The snow fell so abundantly as to cover all the paths. On the 2nd of March and other days following the carnival, the devil was unchained here, as well as in France. There was only deviltry and masquerading at the time throughout the Huron country, 
I will content myself with touching incidentally upon the deviltries of these people. One, all their actions are dictated to them directly by the devil who speaks to them, now in the form of a crow or some similar bird, now in the form of a flame or a ghost, and all this in dreams to which they show great deference. They consider the dream as the master of their lives. It is the god of the country. It is this which dictates to them their feasts, their hunting, their fishing, their war, their trade with the French, their remedies, their dances, their games, their song. Number two, to cure a sick person, they summon the sorcerer, who, without acquainting himself with the disease of the patient, sings and shakes his tortoise shell. He gazes into the water and sometimes into the fire to discover the nature of the disease. Having learned it, he says that the soul of the patient desires for his recovery to be given a present of such or such a thing, a canoe, for example of a new robe, a porcelain collar, a fire feast, a dance, etc. And the whole village straightway sets to work to carry out to the letter all the sorcerer may have ordered. As I was writing this, a savage, greatly excited, came from a neighboring village and begged us to give him a piece of red stuff because the sorcerer had said that one of his sons, who was sick, desired for his recovery this bit of stuff. It was not given to him, but one of our fathers immediately repaired to the place and baptized the little patient. Three, nearly all the savages have charms to which they speak and make feasts in order to obtain from them what they desire. Four, the devil has his religious. Those who serve them must be deprived of all their possessions. They must abstain from women. They must obey perfectly all that the devil suggests to them. The sorcerer of this village came to see us and told us all these things. The number of those baptized this year reaches fully 300 souls. In this village of La Concepcion, there have been baptized in sickness, both children and others, 122 persons. Besides the sick, 50 persons in health were solemnly baptized. In the village of Saint Joseph, 126 of the in the itinerant mission of Saint-Michel, 26 or 7. I speak only of this country of the Hurons. As concerned Quebec and the Three Rivers, you have the relation of those before we do. I am with all my heart, my reverend father, your very humble and affectionate brother in our Lord, François Duperon. In this series of Listening to the Black Robes, how can we go much farther? Without hearing about the most famous of them all, Father Isaac Jogues, a saint, a martyr. One relation from 1647 was written about him by Father Jerome Lelamotte. It's entitled How Father Jogues Was Taken by the Iroquois and What He Suffered on His First Entrance into Their Country. Father Isaac Jogues had sprung from a worthy family of the city of Orleans. After having given some evidence of his virtue in our society, he was sent to New France in the year 1638. In the same year, he went up to the Hurons, where he sojourned until the 13th of June in the year 1642, when he was sent to Quebec upon the affairs of that important and arduous mission. From that time until his death, there occurred many remarkable things 
of which one cannot without guilt deprive the public. What has been said of his labors in the preceding relations come, for the most part, from some savages, companions in his sufferings. But what I am about to set down is issued from his own pen and his own lips. To the Reverend Father Jerome Lalamont, at that time superior of the mission among the Hurons, sent for him and proposed to him the journey to Quebec, a frightful one on account of the difficulty of the roads and very dangerous because of the ambuscades of the Iroquois who massacre every year a considerable number of the savages allied to the French. Let us hear him speak upon his subject and upon the result of his journey. And here is the voice of Isaac Jobes. Authority made me a simple proposition, and not a command, to go down to Quebec. I offered myself and with all my heart. So there we were on the way and in the dangers all at once. We were obliged to disembark 40 times, and 40 times to carry our boats and all our baggage amid the currents and waterfalls that one encounters on this journey of about 300 leagues. At last, 35 days after our departure from the Hurons, we arrived much fatigued at Three Rivers. Thence we went down to Quebec. Our affairs being finished in 15 days, we solemnly observed the feast of St. Ignace, and the next day we left Three Rivers in order to go up again to the country whence we came. The first day was favorable to us. The second caused us to fall into the hands of the Iroquois. We were 40 persons distributed in several canoes, the one which kept the vanguard having discovered on the banks of the great river some tracks of men recently imprinted on the sand and clay gave us warning a landing was made, some say that these are footprints of the enemies. Others are sure that they are those of the Algonquins, our allies. In this dispute, Eustace Alicistari exclaimed, Be they friends or enemies, it matters not. They are not in greater number than we. Let us advance and fear nothing. We had not made half a league when the enemy concealed among the grass and brushwood rises with a great outcry discharging at our canoes a volley of balls the noise so greatly frightened a part of our Hurons that they abandoned their canoes and weapons in order to escape by flight into the depth of the woods we were four French one whom being in the rear escaped with the Hurons who abandoned him before approaching the enemy eight or ten both Christians and catacombs joined us, and they pose a courageous front to the enemy. But having perceived that another band of forty Iroquois, who were in ambush on the other side of the river, were coming to attack them, they lost courage, insomuch that those who were least entangled fled. A Frenchman named René Gopil, whose death is precious before God, was surrounded and captured along with some of the most courageous Hurons. I was watching this disaster, says the father from a place very favorable for concealing me from the enemy. But this thought could never enter my mind. Could I indeed, I said to myself, abandon our French and leave those good neophytes and those poor catacombs without giving them help the church of my God has entrusted to me? Flight seemed horrible to me. It must be, I said in my heart, that my body suffered the fire of the earth in order to deliver these poor souls from the flames of hell. 
It must die a transient death in order to procure for them an eternal life. My conclusion being reached without great opposition for my feelings, I called the one of the Iroquois who had remained to guard the prisoners. He advances, and having seized me, puts me in the number of those whom the world calls miserable. It is a belief among these barbarians that those who go to war are the more fortunate in proportion as they are cruel toward their enemies. I assure you, they made us thoroughly feel the force of that wretched belief. Those are the words of Father Isaac Schultz. It's an interesting thing that once the Jesuits had grasped the character of the superficial features of Indian society and had begun to make headway with the language, these missionaries could develop their special skill in, in unraveling the ideas of the Indians about cosmology, the nature of Indian religion, and the basis and practice of Indian medicine, all of which were intimately bound together, and all of which were strictly relevant to their missionary objectives. These black robes were, after all, theological experts, and were therefore able to explain and to illustrate Indian religion in graphic detail in a way which you laymen could even have attempted. Perhaps these few excerpts from the Jesuit relation, they're very voluminous, will give you an idea why I've had a lifelong fascination with these intelligently crafted reports and have such immense esteem for these Jesuit missionaries. When I was an anthropology major in the university, I was assigned a topic to give a two-hour seminar on the subject of French politics in relationship to American Indians before 1776. I was a 19-year-old kid. I did not know where to begin. It was too vast an area and too complex an area for me to get to my 19-year-old brain around it. My thoroughly atheistic and materialistic professor directed me in the library to this whole shelf of volumes of the Jesuit relations. They were stunning and fascinating and interesting. I did okay in a seminar, not very well. I failed to do real justice to the subject, such a magnificent subject. In the science of anthropology, these documents are held in high esteem. Once again, our Catholic Church is often the mother of science. So setting the record straight once again, about the magnificent history of our beloved Catholic Church. I'm Chuck Coughlin, join me again. Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Jack Kane Ford. Find your next Ford Tough Vehicle at KaneFord.com.